0: Welcome to the Red Door Church Sermon Podcast. Red Door Church is a church seeking to transform the city of Pretoria by the power of the gospel. We are distinctly mission-minded, community-cultivating, and city-loving. Please enjoy this week's sermon, and don't forget to follow and continue the conversation by sharing with those around you. Great stuff. Um... Family, if you have your Bibles with you, you're welcome to turn to Luke 15. We're going to be for the third week in a row. We're going to look at the parable that Jesus told with the heading, which is slightly misleading, the prodigal son. As we've discovered, it's actually about the prodigal sons. And this morning, we'll even see that the father is probably the main character of the story. So it's in Luke 15, and we're going to read from verses 11 to 32. I'm once again going to read this passage for us. By the end of this, you guys should be able to know it by heart and then we'll jump into the passage jesus said there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father father give me the share of the property that is coming to me and he divided his property between them not many days later the youngest son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country cape town But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his oldest son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, "Your brother has come, and your father, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound." But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, "Look, these many years I have served you, and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat." that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I don't know how many of you also grew up in the 90s. One of the, probably the second movie that I always, that I've ever seen in my life had this famous quote. Life's not fair, is it? It's obviously from Lion King and Scar. (laughs) Made the quote as he was looking to ascend the throne and yet because of this insignificant little uh, Simba that was born, he was denied the throne. And that sentiment is probably one that we wouldn't always necessarily classify ourselves with, but it's something that we probably view the world through, that life doesn't seem fair. It just doesn't seem like things are working out, especially for you, the way that you want them. Maybe the words of Alanis Morissette as she sings her song of irony rings true for you, that it's like rain on your wedding day. It's a free ride when you've already paid it's like ten thousand spoons when all you need is a knife life is a little bit funny and she sings this song of irony to almost highlight this fact that it almost seems like everything in this world is working against you has this ever been your experience whether it's just your bags that get lost in a flight or on a layover when it's just you that kind of miss out when you're planning your birthday party And then it rains on that specific day what are some of the things some of the moments that you feel has just been unkind or unfair to you in your life maybe think about it what are some of the things that you wish and there's been many songs written about this is there no justice in the world if there was any justice in the world she or he would rather like me than that person I would, I would be in this relationship or that relationship. I would have this position in my job. I would have the life that I've always dreamed of. All of this, we might conclude that there is no justice in the world. and This life simply is unfair. I'm so much into songs this morning, but like Bon Jovi, life is life. (laughs) I didn't even write this, but it feels like I just want to sing a couple of songs. Everyone is doting on this fact that things just don't work out. And so what do we do? We just try to make the best with what we've got. Even as we've been spending time in this parable that Jesus told, it feels like there's a lot of unfairness going around. Think about it. Yes, it was wrong what the younger brother did. He took all his dad's stuff and he just went. But at the precisely the wrong time, a famine arose and brought him to his knees. What about the older brother? He was faithfully working at home, just waiting for his father for some recognition. And then this young brother comes back and they kill the fattened calf? Surely that seems unfair. And I think even for us today, as we think about... Where do we turn to for some fairness, for some equality, for some justice in the world? Who should we turn to? And probably if you're sitting here this morning, you think that the answer, well, the Sunday school answer should be God. God the Father. The question is why? Is God the Father really fair or not? There's a certain unfairness that it feels like built into Christianity itself. I'm sure if you speak with any atheist... Any skeptical person out there, they would bluntly tell you about the unfairness that comes associated with Christianity. Why should I turn to this God? Why am I born with almost this debt that now needs to be paid off? Why do I need to learn this standard of living? Why can't God just be happy with the people that wants to follow him and I'll be happy on my merry way? What is fair about God the Father? Some of us are even scared asking this question, afraid of what the answer might be. The fortunate thing is Jesus isn't scared about these questions. In fact, even before being asked this, he addresses it and he tells us what is the nature of God. And spoiler alert, there is unfairness in Christianity and there is unfairness in this world. The question rather this morning for us is not whether we'll escape the unfairness, the injustice, but which injustice would you rather have? And so a little bit of context. in, in case you've met, missed it, we've been spending some time in this parable. And for the previous two weeks, we've been focusing on the two brothers. The younger brother we call the wayward son. Typical younger brothers. Who's the younger kids here in our crowd? It's, it's always the younger ones. Okay, maybe I'm stepping on toes, but I'm also a younger brother, so it doesn't count. Um, it's always the younger brother that gets away with everything. He asks his dad for the inheritance right now, even before his dad has passed away, communicating that his dad is dead to him. So there's no relationship there. He takes all the property, everything that he values in life, and then he goes off to a far off land. Not necessarily Cape Town, but it can be Cape Town. And there he lives this um, scandalous lifestyle where he spends all his money. He's got this immoral lifestyle all, and, and he wastes just everything. And at, at that moment, a famine arose. He was in need. And then he, a Jew, which they weren't allowed actually in holy practices to come close to pigs, had to go and feed pigs. He went to the lowest of low. However, this is where the story turns. It says he came to himself and he realized that his dad back home has got many hired servants that actually are better off than him right now. He's going to go and tell his dad, treat him like a servant and he'll be restored. But whilst he was still a long way off, we see that the dad was actually waiting on the stoop, watching to see if he's going to come. And as the son comes, he runs to the son and he is so glad to receive him back safe and sound. Puts a ring on his finger, best robe, kills the and calf. The party begins. The subwoofers are going because you can hear the music all around the farm. So much so that we start hearing about the older brother. Now the older brother, typical older brother doing all the right things. Saying, you can see the difference. Janine is the older sibling and I'm the youngest sibling. That's why I'm the wayward one and Janine is the <coughs> nice <laughs> not one not. between the two of us. But um. <laughs> We see that the older sibling was doing everything that he was supposed to do. He stayed at home. He was obedient. Where was he actually when the younger brother came home? He was in the fields working. He was doing everything that he was supposed to do. And as he came to the house, he heard the music and he asked one of the slaves, what's going on? No, your brother came. And instead of your dad scolding him, and uh, making him sleep outside making him work for his dad's approval again your dad did the exact opposite he's throwing a party it almost sounds like your dad is rewarding him for his bad behavior this is just gonna enforce everything that's wrong this is bad parenting he, he needs to re his child's heart he, he needs to go on a few courses there's there's a couple of things that this dad missed And we see that the older brother wasn't concerned, he got angry. The dad had to go outside of the house a second time. He goes to the older brother to entreat him, to ask him, to call him back into the house, that place that symbolizes relationship, that place that symbolizes sanctuary. However, the older brother is so upset, he says, This son of yours, not even my younger brother, this son of yours have squandered everything, yet you reward him. I have served you like a slave. And never once have you given me anything. Thereby communicating what he thinks his relationship with his dad is like. Instead of it being father, son, and we see it even in the father's words, it's like, my son, everything that I have is yours. Why are you working for something that you already have? The son saw his relationship with his dad as transactional. I'm simply going to obey you so that you can reward me things that I want. And the older brother as well missed the relationship with the father. And what we've concluded over these two weeks is that both of these sons had a lostness to them. The younger son had a more obvious waywardness where he was going and he was seeking life in the world and in the pleasures of the things out there. And the older brother had a more subtle lostness to it. He was the religious one. He was the one that thought that through his good behavior, he could earn his father's affection. That he could earn his way through daily keeping everything and being a good older brother. If he applied his work, he would reap the rewards. And as a result, he was angry with his father and his little brother, thinking that he deserved better. And what we said over the past two weeks is that we can identify with both brothers at different times. There are times where we also go and we think, man, if I can just have this in the world, and if I can just have this experience, and if I can just have this material possession, I'll be happy. And so we've got a little bit of a younger brother syndrome in that heart. But a lot of us as well, I think we think like the older brother. If I just do the right things, God will reward me. And many Christians, myself included, thinking this way like the older brother become disillusioned after a while in Christianity. Because it simply doesn't pan out that way. Life is still tough and life is still unfair. So after a while, after obeying God the Father, we come to the realization, man, things are still tough. Why hasn't God given me everything that He's promised? Why isn't life just rosy-colored? It, it felt like when Christianity was sold to me, there was this perks that was promised on the package. It's almost like this cruise line. And, and yet at the bottom yeah, it, it says terms and conditions that I didn't really read well. And now in the middle of Christianity, I'm like, man, it doesn't feel like the perks that I was supposed to be getting in Christianity actually pays out. Both of them, what they were actually trying to do, but in very different ways, was trying to find things in the world that would help them cope with their reality. I think many of us can nod to this. Because life is hard and because life is a struggle, many of us just try to make life work. There's a reason why you do the specific job that you do. You think there's going to be some self-fulfillment. There's a reason why you buy the things that you do or the experience that you do. All the things that we do and that we buy and that we strive for We think in some way or another it will help us deal with the difficult circumstances which is life. This isn't bad necessarily. There is actually a shorthand for all these things that we do. Psychologists would call this coping mechanisms. We all have coping mechanisms. Don't think for one moment that coffee isn't a coping mechanism. There's a way in which we use the small pleasures in life to sometimes escape the realities that we're faced with. What's very interesting, we do these things to sometimes forget about the pain or just to escape negative emotions. But what's very interesting, and I've been reading a lot this week and watching some videos on alcohol addiction and how addiction works, and addiction follows a very similar pattern. It's clear that we all experience negative emotions and what most of us do in those spaces to escape a negative emotion, we run to something that will either dull the pain or numb the pain or help us forget about the pain. The only difference between us and people that suffer from uh, addictions that are harmful, it's just a different sort of coping mechanism. Some coping mechanisms are more destructive than others. And I'm not equating um, alcohol addiction with drinking coffee, so not at all. What I'm trying to get at is that there's a pattern in life that we follow that we think will make us feel better about life. And the two sons illustrate the two directions that we can go. We can either go to outside in the world what we think will make us feel better or what many people do. And how many people sell Christianity is we use religion to feel better about ourselves and about our circumstances. And the moment they realize this, they become disillusioned with what Christianity is all about. Because if we're honest with one another, it feels like, and these aren't exact figures, but it feels like the majority of Christians in South Africa, at least, lives this way. We use religion as a crutch not to engage our difficult circumstances and the unfairness of this world. And the problem similar to the older brother is that this is a temporary solution and it's not actually able to help us get through everything in life. And so either we're gonna walk away from Christianity or we're gonna double down and just dip into the world and try to make it and cope throughout this life. The point that this parable makes here today, when it refers to the older and the younger brother, is that none of them can find fulfillment in what they're trying to seek. That the only fulfillment is actually to be found metaphorically back in the home, in the relationship with the Father. And if we look at the parable of the Father, the Father represents God the Father, I have to say this, even as I'm reading this now and as I've been reflecting on it, it feels narcissistic on God's part. I know. Am I allowed to say that? It feels like God is narcissistic. How can it be that our God says that the only fulfillment and true relational coping that can happen is within relationship of God the Father? Why are we created in this way that it feels like we owe God something? Why cannot it just work this way that we love God and serve Him and when we ask for things, He just gives it to us? Why can't He just be the genie that we all actually really want? If we're really honest with one another, we think that we can be better God than He is right now. If we think about the troubles and everything and the injustice in the world, we think that we can actually do a better job. So why is it that we should go and then trust this God when it seemingly doesn't seem, look like it's working out in the rest of the world? Wouldn't life be fairer or better? Well, to fully understand this parable, we've got to understand the shock value of this parable. Uh, this was actually the reason why parables were taught for Jewish people back in the day. Um, it's, it's like short stories, but with a punchline. Every now and again, there's something that culturally would offend them really so that they would bring home the point. Whether they agree with the point or not, it would shock to more clarify what the point is that the storyteller is trying to make. And here's the shock value of this story. It's not totally shocking it's bad that the younger brother wanted his dad dead and took all the things and went to, a ba- uh, to another country, but it happens. It's not the biggest shock in the world. We've seen it happen and it will happen again. It happened in that culture as well. It's bad and it's almost unforgivable, but it happens. It's not shocking to see that the older brother doesn't want to go into the house and that he's angry with his little brother. In fact, we probably nod our heads and said, he should be angry. How dare he? How doth the father forgive him and do all these things? So where is the shock value in the parable? It lies with the father. If you wanted to be a respected Jewish man, you had to be a man of stature, never rushed. Never feel like you've got to plead with anyone. Almost need to just have your way to make sure that you're almost not trying too hard with everything. So Jesus, as he is telling to his audience this story, There's a couple of things that we notice about the father, which is quite shocking. The first is, and we talked about this, is that he ran to the younger brother. Totally unlike Jewish men back in the day. He like left his pride at the door, took shame on himself and ran to the son. Not only that, but he suffered material loss. And there must have been a while where, remember... He's been building this property up his whole life. He's not going to be able to reclaim or regather that. He suffered that loss. And with that loss comes shame. And in a culture that is built on honor and shame, where honor is probably more profitable than finances, this is a big deal for the dad. And yet we see that the dad does everything contrary to what we would think that he would do. He invites the son back and they start to celebrate. But the shocking events of the dad doesn't end there we see that even the older brother calls his dad's reputation into question by not going in the older brother is effectively saying my definition of justice is higher than yours even though he's not the one that suffered loss he didn't suffer any property loss his property is still there He didn't suffer any shame, yet he was the one angry, so much so that the dad again had to leave the home, again had to entreat his older brother, suffering shame again. Having to reason with his brother, am I not your father and you my son? Everything that is mine is yours. We naturally identify with the two sons But if we look at it from the perspective of the father, we see that he is the one that experienced the greatest loss. Whatever loss the children experienced, he experienced more. Material loss, shame, loss of relationship, loss of status. But the most shocking thing that the dad did, contrary to everything that the culture would expect, is that he extended grace to both sons. Grace, by definition, means unfair. Grace is receiving something that you do not deserve. And so the younger brother probably had some unfairness in his life. The older brother probably experienced some unfairness. But who experienced the greatest unfairness in this story? It's the father. The father carried unfairness and justice on his shoulders for the sole purpose of re-establishing relationship with his sons. Do you really want to know how unfair your life is? Really is. Don't look at what you don't have, but what you've already received in Christ. The unfairness through which we can characterize our life is not that by measuring with one another or the people out there, but we should always measure it with the Father and ask ourselves, who has suffered the greatest loss and unfairness? Creator God, creating as creation. Then His creation rebels against Him. Shame, loss. God within His rights to nuke us. Yet He doesn't. Through common grace... He allows humankind to continue existing. Though broken, there's fingerprints of his awesomeness on us so that we can keep on evolving and going forward as a civilization. And then he gives us his word and he calls the people to his own. And the people once again disobey him, rebel against his good word. Finally, God the Father sends his son, Jesus, to come and call people back into relationship with Him. And what do we do? Not only do we reject Him, but we crucify His Son. And as Jesus rose and gave His Spirit, we can now have redemption in relationship with Him. Whatever think and whatever loss we think we might have had, God has suffered more. God has suffered Because of our rebellion, the greatest injustice, so that through a just death of Jesus, he might bring us back into his house. He could simply have authoritatively demanded our obedience, our servanthood, and that we should listen to him. Yet we see in passages like Romans 2 and many throughout the Old Testament that God, through his goodness, actually wants to lead people to repentance and back in relationship with him. Similar to the younger brother that came to himself and realized how good his father is. The thing that God the Father wants for us today, now that he suffered all the injustice, all the unfairness, he doesn't just want and commands our obedience. Rather, what he truly wants is relationship with us. And the way that he even does that is Is not through commands, it's through displaying his goodness in Christ. And so, family, this morning, what is it about the goodness of God that captures your heart to worship him? If it is fear or guilt or obligation or fear of missing out that you're looking in other places, you're missing the true gospel. You might be chasing religion and satisfaction, but that is not relationship that God the Father wants with you. I want you to think through the darkest time in your life. Maybe think through your worst times, those thoughts and those actions that you won't share with anyone. God the Father is deeply aware of those things. And in those moments, he cannot love you any less. What God is trying to communicate to the world is so much different than what mainstream Christianity is communicating. It's not a God seeking to destroy and command obedience. It is a God through His goodness is calling relationship of His people back to Him. And how can we know this? Well, nothing else that we look for in this world have suffered such a great loss as our God. And so if you're one of measure the goodness or justice that you can find in the rest of the world, measure it against the amount of loss that that thing or person has already suffered. God has suffered all the loss possibly imagined. Everything else in the world will first ask you to sacrifice something. And it's God through his goodness calling us back to him. And so if you're a Christian, practically Some of the things that we maybe forget about or miss out as we mess up, as we think about our relationship with God is, are we constantly convinced that through His goodness He is calling you back into relationship or is it through your duty? What are the things that you are daily reflecting on? Is it on His love and on His peace or is it simply on the duty that you need to perform? What are the things about Christianity that you've maybe heard or that you share with other people? What you should do, or what you shouldn't do, what life Christianity promises for you or how good God is. Both sons, they were familiar with God and yet they saw that it seemed like outside of the house they can have a better life. And we do that daily. But ultimately, I want you to look at Jesus and see that what God is promising in the house is not necessarily a life of abundance and everything is going well. But it is a life in relationship with him that is good. And so may we be a people that not only experiences goodness, but that is ultimately the thing that we share with other people. How good our God is. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to the conclusion of this parable this morning, we have to admit that this is difficult to believe. Not necessarily because we're doubting your track record. We, we can historically even look at what you've done in the past, God, and through Jesus and the historical Jesus, but more because I'm so confronted with my own brokenness because I'm so confronted with the deep sin and, and, and uh, the ways that I failed you before in the past. And it's hindering me from thinking that I'm allowed back in the home. And so maybe for other people, this rings true. Maybe, maybe they are the prodigal sons that you can run to, but they don't know what I've done, how hostile I've been in my thoughts towards you. And yet, God, I hope that all of us recognize that you are the dad on the stoop not not waiting for us coming outside of the house to love us where we're at and to invite us back into relationship with you may it be your goodness that draws us into your heart we thank you and we love you that you created us out of the abundance of your love amen family we